Welcome back to the Earth Observation to Policy podcast series, organized by IWA's Earth Observation for Water Management Community of Practice. If you're joining us for the first time today, the Corp is a subgroup of the IWA Digital Water Program that brings together experts from different sectors of the water industry interested in the use of Earth Observation technologies for improved water quality and quantity management. I'm Yunus Obompa-Jaswa, a member of the steering committee for this community of practice. I'm a water resource quality research manager at the Water Research Commission in South Africa. At the WRC, we fund a number of projects with observations specifically around precision agriculture, as well as eutrophication, as well as understanding the spread of disease and water quality issues using earth observation. This is the second podcast in the series promoting the webinar, Science to Policy, From Earth Observation to Legislation. This webinar is coming up on Friday the 18th of November at 2 p.m. London time. The series explores the challenges and success factors of using Earth Observation Services for evidence-based policy and national legislature in general and also in specific contexts. Today, I'll be interviewing Alexandra Bell, who's a research associate in the Earth Observation Research Hub at the Institute of Geography and Geology at the University of Würzburg, Germany. Alexandra started off her path in the natural science field with her studies of biology and chemistry at Humboldt University in Berlin. She was first introduced to the topic of remote sensing and its capabilities during her Master of Science study program in Global Change Ecology. Since then, Alexandra completed Master of Philosophy in Biology and has worked as personal assistant to the Environmental Minister of Rhineland-Palatinate in Germany. During this time, she gained very interesting insights into the policy-making field. Currently, Alexandra is working on her PhD thesis with the topic Space-Born Remote Sensing for Evidence-Based Policy, with a special focus on remote sensing to support national compliance with international policy agreement. Alexandra, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you very much, Anise. It's a great pleasure to talk to you today. I'm looking forward to really hearing what you have to say, and I think it's going to be a very interesting take to, to hear, especially following up from what Mark also said earlier in our first podcast, I think this conversation today will be a nice follow-up from that. So your research focuses on remote sensing in the realm of policy and decision-making and the interactions with the environment. What was the motivation behind this? Or why do you think remote sensing is a valuable source for policy and decision-making? Well, my work specifically actually focuses on space-born remote sensing in the realm of what we can name in a certain way evidence-based policy. And this is actually where I see the power of remote sensing for policy. So to really help us make policy more objective, effective, and also sustainable. So namely through information and knowledge. So if we look on a daily basis, there are political decisions which are made, often with the extent of the impact being very unclear. So measurements are implemented, which may result in direct or indirect direct unintended negative impact, for example, on our natural environment. And to tackle all of these ambitions regarding climate change mitigation, and in generally also in trying to achieve a more sustainable world, I think we need to promote sustainable policymaking that is, on the one hand, more objective, accounts for impacts beyond our national borders, and also really sees beyond legislative periods. 
So if we look now at remote sensing, mm -hmm. it's currently probably the most powerful tool to derive objective and systematic information across different spatial and temporal scales. And by doing so, remote sensing can provide us with pivotal insights into the status of our environment. And one exciting point is, which I find, is that this information is not only available within, but also across political borders. And then, of course, if we go further, a further advantage of remote sensing is the growing availability of open access data and products. And this can play a major role for developing countries, for example. So the knowledge provided by remote sensing can then be used, as we know, for example, to inform policy on changes and emergent issues at the human environmental interface. And another point is that we can use or combine this kind of information with other data. So for example, from socioeconomics and from policy and provide evidence on the impact of concrete policy measurements. And this valuable information evidence can then feed into the policymaking process and can help to promote informed and sustainable policymaking. And I think this is something we should take in mind or into account. It's, it's nice the way you have illustrated where policy helps in a lot of the decision making and as well as bringing to light the fact that with Earth's observation, you, you definitely have the loss of borders now. And I think that makes an incredible difference in understanding different issues, especially in if we even think about water quality management in the transboundary situations as well. So you conducted a survey on space-borne remote sensing at the Science Policy Interface recently. From these results, what is one theme that has stood out to you? And could you possibly just explain to us why? So I think I have to explain a little bit about the web-based questionnaire which we conducted in order to, um, well, focus on this one theme or the two themes actually which stood out, one on the results side and one on the implementation side. So with our web-based questionnaire, my colleague Sarah Schoenbrod-Stitt and I wanted to really gain insights into the requirements of the different stakeholders regarding the use of space from remote sensing at the science policy interface. And our survey, on the one hand, addresses hurdles and opportunities to strengthen the collaboration but also looks into the dissemination strategies and communication strategies at the science policy interface. And um, we conducted our, well, our web-based survey focusing on three different stakeholder groups. So the scientists and the intermediary organizations and policymakers. And at the, well, at the moment, we're still in the process of analyzing all of our data. And before I really dive into the first results, there's one important theme, which, uh, what I just mentioned, um, which stood out, namely that we had quite some problems in reaching out to the two groups of intermediary organizations and policymakers. And the main respondents were from the scientific field in that regard, which somehow underlines also the inherent issue of this field, namely the remaining gap at the science policy interface. So in a certain way, from an academic point of view, we have to think about how we can much better tackle questions at the science policy interface. Um, also, how we can better facilitate the communication with other experts, such as from intermediary organizations and the policymaking field. And in the end, how we can actually motivate other scientists within our field to take over an active role in this ambition. The one theme of the results is actually that um, this kind of problem of reaching out to the two different stakeholders groups is in a certain way also reflected within the survey results. So participants mentioned researchers as the main users of the research results and work. And further, and this is a very interesting result, as we find, most scientists actually conceive their work as relevant for policymaking and are convinced that the work should contribute to policymaking, yet only 36% of the participants actually 
conduct policy relevant analysis. So in a certain way, there seems to be a gap between the expectation of the relevance of their own work and contribution and their own commitment to really engaging at the science policy interface. Um, but on a positive note, that also means that there's a huge untapped potential lying dormant in the science field. And this is something we might be able to talk about a little bit more in detail in the webinar. That's a very interesting conclusion, Alexandra, because I think for me, I, I always wonder in terms of that debate, where does the policy drive rest? Does the policy drive rest on the scientists or does the policy drive rest on policymakers who inform scientists what they need for policy to pass? And I think this is something that hopefully we can see clearer in your research as you continue to do that. But thank you for sharing that experience. I think that's very interesting. So Alexandra, the topic of policy in the Earth observation context is quite a niche topic and not really discussed. What do you think can be done to improve this? So I think this is a very relevant question. So thanks a lot for it. And it's actually also one of my main motivations of my current research. I would say, so I've got a little problem maybe with this niche topic at the moment. So because after diving into this um, research field for the last couple of years, I've noticed that um, a lot has actually been going on on the um, surface or on the science policy interface in a certain way. So I would conclude that the denotation niche topic really depends on the policy sector we're looking at and also the country in focus. So I think this is something we should really keep in mind when we're looking at this topic that actually a lot is going on at the moment or over the last couple of years and is trying to be pushed. And one way to improve this is, I think, to really look at examples where Earth observation has made its pathway into the policy field or where the collaboration was or is successful. So one of the important themes is, I think, science communication, which is targeted to its audience. So we will need to invest more time in understanding how to best disseminate and communicate our scientific evidence to the policy field and how to best promote the application of Earth observation for policy. So one way is what we're doing at the moment so my colleague and I is to really look into existing dissemination strategies at the moment so what is actually being used and I think if we look at the younger generations we will see that this awareness of science communication is there and um, that they are actually really eager to make a difference. I think that one of the issues is or could be is that we need to invest a little bit more time into seeing whether these topics of science communication are actually already integrated into the Earth observation field to its fullest potential. And if not, how we can actually go through targeted capacity development in academia and in intermediary organizations, for example, in order to promote this kind of communication. And other very concrete points are if we look at our web-based questionnaire, but also at, for example, the interview I've conducted is that data supply is very important. So this includes the access to Earth observation data and the implementation and long-term maintenance of effective monitoring schemes on the ground. And this is in particular an important topic for developing countries and also could help there to better integrate Earth observation into the policy field and capacity development and knowledge development. Thank you, Alexandra, for that. So in terms of the podcast, I am sure that those of you who are listening are just as 
patient as I am. For the webinar, we've heard a lot of really nice, interesting thoughts, complexities definitely from the last two podcasts. And we can't wait to hear all the perspectives on science to policy when the webinar takes place. Alexandra, thank you so much for talking with us today. You represent the importance of having community of practice. As a non-water professional, your experiences and knowledge add tremendous value to the discussion and I think it really highlights the need for multidisciplinary work when we tackle issues like this. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us again today. Stay tuned for the third and final installment of the series where we'll be talking with Torsten Bondo from DHI about the use of earth observation due to determine specifically um, sustainable development goals, indicators, as well as nationally determined contributions. And please also don't forget to join us on Friday 18th November at 2 p.m. London time for our webinar, which is titled Science to Policy from Earth Observation to Legislation.